Let's take our Bibles and go back to Haggai, where we'll be for the next couple of weeks. We're looking at the theme that we launched in Vision Sunday, Faithful in the Work. This is a continuation of last year's theme, Strengthened in the Work, or for the Work, uh, from Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, those two books were challenged to us, and there are two smaller books, Haggai and Zechariah, written by the two prophets that ministered during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, uh, I believe that they can be of help to us as we oftentimes find ourselves in that place that the children of Israel did where we uh, were strengthened for the work and we were doing the work, but we get worn out, we get overwhelmed, we get discouraged, and we need someone to come along and, and help to ignite our faith. And Haggai and Zechariah were two such men that when everybody else wasn't feeling it, uh, they heard from God, God spoke to them, they were able to speak the word very clearly to God's people, and the, the embers of faith were stoked up and began burning strong again. And may God help us to be men and women of faith and to allow ourselves uh, to be stirred to faith through this, uh, th- this passage. Our theme verse is Haggai 2.4, which says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. And be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. They were strong at the beginning, but sometimes our strength just begins to fade. And we need, we need some help. We need some encouragement. And uh, their need was not just to be strong, but to be faithful in trusting the one who was with them. The one that was, was the empower, an empowerer and the enabler, the Lord of hosts. Let's look at Haggai chapter 1 and verse 1. We'll read the first chapter together here this morning. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that, lay, that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, 
and upon all the labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's, uh, uh, the Lord's messenger unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of, of Joshua, the son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Lord, help us as we look at your word. I pray you'd bring application to our hearts that can help us, uh, not just for today, but for our future. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I had the opportunity to go into evangelism in 2008 with my wife, and we did not have any children at that point. And I was excited to not just go into evangelism, but to be able to see the world a little bit. And uh, that's one perk of being an evangelist. You get to travel and you get to see things. And uh, so we had a little itinerary coming together in 2008. And, and I, I thought, well, when we go different places, I want to make some time to go see the, the sites that are in that area. And uh, one of the first places we were going, we were, we were headed uh, to St. Louis or through St. Louis. And I, I decided I wanted to see the, uh, the St. Louis Arch. Uh, anybody seen the St. Louis Arch? Okay. Uh, I got a picture there for you. If you haven't seen it, now you have. All right. Uh, there it is. And I thought, boy, I hope it's a nice day. I hope we can see it. And I hope the sun's shining off of it. And, and I, I, I wasn't sure what angle our highway would take us, if, it, if we have a good view or not. But we got down there and it was perfect. Perfect day. Sun was shining. It was beautiful. You could see it so good. It's just sparkling. And the, the, the angle of our approach was perfect. So I was like, guys, get your cameras. I had an evangelistic team with us. Get your cameras. Get some good shots. Roll the window down. Let's, uh, this is going to be good. And, and uh, uh, we're driving along. And, and then I remember looking out my window, and there it was just filling up the window. And it was just a postcard. And I'm gawking at this thing. And this wonderful moment, I remember, was shattered by a scream of one of the team members sitting next to me in the front seat, Jake, Jake Allen. He's preached here, a uh, missionary. And he just screamed out, Brother Robert, stop! I don't know what all he said, but it's uh, something that made me hit the brakes before I even had my, my face looking back. I was hitting the brakes. We're on the highway going 65 miles an hour, and the, it, the, the cars in front of me had come to a dead stop. They weren't even rolling. A dead stop. And I hit that brake for all I was worth. We laid down some rubber, you know, and we stopped right next to that person's bumper. I, I had to have scared them to death. We were scared to death. Thankfully, nobody hit us, so the guy behind us was watching. Praise the Lord for that. And I was just taking a breath and trying to figure out what just happened. And first thing Jake does is he looks at me and he says, I am so sorry. For what? I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. <laughs> you know, I guess he thought he was disrespectful. I'm sorry I said that. I, I, I should have been a little bit more cautious. I said, no, brother, you know what? When we're all about to die, <laughs> you can scream. You can holler. You can say whatever you need to say to get my attention. You know, I am more visually oriented, and, and I was all distracted over here, and 
Uh, it's amazing how fast traffic can stop. And, and uh, he did the right thing. He said, stop, look out, watch where you're going. That's essentially what Haggai does here. He says, consider your ways twice. It's a wake-up call. It's a look out. Watch where you're going. Look out. There's trouble ahead. And sometimes we need a wake-up call to snap us back to reality, to jolt our perspective to what we should be looking at, which is the way. We need to consider our ways. And I was very grateful for Jake playing the prophet that day. And I said, no, 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 you can yell at me, buddy, if I'm about to kill us. You can yell, that's fine. Uh, this phrase is repeated twice in chapter 1. And the word itself appears, uh, consider, appears five times in this short book. Uh, this book is second shortest only to Obadiah. Haggai had a mission. Wake up God's people. They were asleep at the wheel. They had come for a mission. They were distracted. They're, they're living life over here. And look at this over here. And oh, all this life to live in this new place. And they had forgotten why they were there in the first place. They were there, there to build a temple. They were there to, uh, to, to resurrect from the ruins of this city a, a God-fearing uh, a country that would put Him first and be able to put their families on a future of serving God. He had a brief ministry. You might think it was insignificant ministry. In fact, if you read Ezra chapter 5, it does seem sort of insignificant. Uh, he gets a couple of verses that he gets mentioned, Haggai and Zechariah, and uh, you just scoot right on past it. Uh, but really, that, as I've mentioned before, there's a lot more that, that happened in Ezra 5 than than what meets the eye. And it wasn't just one sermon. Haggai actually preached four sermons. The first sermon is in chapter 1. And uh, by the way, the reason we know all these different sermons is he dates them all. Uh, Haggai was one of these guys who must have kept journals and calendars and been very, very with it when it comes to scheduling. Every time he speaks, he tells you when he spoke. And so you have it, uh, he's always telling you the, the year in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month and the first day came the word of the Lord. And he preaches that first sermon that I'm calling the consider your ways sermon. Okay. Then chapter two, you have the seventh month sermon there in verse one. In the seventh month and the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord to Haggai the prophet saying, and this is uh, what I'll call the consider your covenant sermon. And then in the ninth month, uh, you have there uh, in verse 10, in the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, uh, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet. There he is again. And this is the consider your future uh, sermon. We'll get to these, not today. Uh, and then he closes out also in the ninth month with consider God's choice. And we'll look at these messages together. So uh, Ezra does not record all four messages, but Ezra just records the, the bottom line. There's a guy who preached he preached powerfully, he got our attention, and we heard from God and we obeyed. But this man did what he was called to do in helping to uh, wake the people of God up to consider their ways, to look out, to watch where they're going, and reassess their situation. May God help us as well this morning to be able to reassess our situation and 
our direction. He asked them to consider their ways. What specifically were they to consider? Well, three specific things. We'll see, first of all, he, he, he's asking them to consider God's timing. Consider God's timing. The people said it was not God's time. We, we saw this together uh, there in, in verse 2. Uh, the, the, they, the people say the time has not come. The time that the Lord's uh, uh, house should be built. This was something that they were throwing back on God. This was an excuse that they were spiritualizing. And by the way, all of us have done this. If we're doing wrong, uh, and we don't want to feel like we're doing wrong, we just might spiritualize it and say, no, I think actually God wanted me to do, or God closed this door, or, you know, God's just not letting me do what I thought I should do. And this prophet says, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to let you get away with that. You're not pinning this on God. And so he takes their phrase about time, and he turns it around. Don't you love it when God makes you eat your own words? No, probably not. Uh, they, were, they were saying it's not time because of this relentless ongoing opposition. It's not time because we're discouraged and overwhelmed and we've got responsibilities that we have to take care of. And uh, it's not time because there is this definitive closed door when we received this letter saying cease and desist. So it's time to stop. Well, he says, I'll take that phrase and turn it around. Is it time? Is it time for you to, well, what? Uh, do a bunch of other stuff, live your lives any way you want and build your own houses and take care of your own businesses and plant and harvest and, and go on about your business? Uh, is, it, is, it, is it time for all of this while God's house, the very reason that you came here in the first place, the very reason that He gave you the provision to make the journey and the strength and the protection, is it, is it, is it time to do all of this for yourself and neglect the temple that lies in ruins. Is it time to quit? Is it, time, is it not time to pray? Is it not time to have patience and to persevere? Hey, is it not time to prove that God is in control, that God did send us and that God will see us through? Is it time? You know, this reminds me of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14 where the Bible says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, that means very, very carefully, judging each and every step. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil." Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I think that Ephesians 5, 14-17 encapsulates the heart of Haggai as he talked to them about this matter of time. Is it not time? Has God closed the door? You have plenty of time and opportunity to do everything you want to do. Wake up! It's time to awake from this slumber and follow the Lord. He says, walk circumspectly. That means you're literally planning every step. We have chickens. We walk circumspectly at my house. Sorry, I'll just say it. And anyone else who has chickens knows exactly what I'm talking about. 
uh, where it's like, you know what? I, 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 I need to make sure I know where every foot goes. I need a safe path forward here. Uh, fools just run ahead, the Bible says. They don't take care of each step. They take it for granted. He says, I want you to redeem the time. Buy back the time. The days are evil. Time's not on our side. I think sometimes we think that one person has more time than, than another. You know, some, some people have more money than others, better health than others, better talent than others, but the, the, the playing field is even when it comes to time. Every single one of us have the exact same amount of time. You get to invest it however you want, but you are accountable for it. And God says, redeem the time. The days are evil. The days are against you. So what are we supposed to do with the time that we have? Don't be unwise. You had better know what the will of God is. And sometimes, folks, let's just be honest, sometimes we used to know what it was, but we've just kind of fallen asleep. Hey, we need somebody in our life like the Apostle Paul here to the Ephesians. He says, wake up! Redeem the time! Use your time to do what His will is for your life. Haggai said the same thing. Wake up. Consider your ways. Don't just get distracted by all of the lights and stuff and the surroundings that you, that you find yourself in, but know what His will is and get back on track. Let me ask you, are you redeeming the time? Are you buying back that time? Do you recognize the, day, the days are evil? I tell you, we should recognize this. We look at the, the news And we look at what's happening in our world and in our country, and if you don't see that the days are evil, and if you don't see that time is against you, uh, then yeah, you you need to be woken up. Time is not on our side. Our kids, uh, for those of us who have kids at home, our kids will be gone and and out in their own lives uh, faster than we're ready for. We've got to be investing in them. We've got to be pointing them toward God's will and prioritizing His will. How much time... Are you wasting? This is something that God convicts me about every year. As every year, I I, I take uh, inventory of my life in the past year and what do I want to see change in the new year? And this one always makes the list. Every single time. I want to use my time better. I want to redeem the time. I'm one year older. And what do I have to show for it? What is being accomplished that is in line with my mission? How much distractions am I following? All, uh, our focus should be uh, just pinpointed after the Lord, but our focus is oftentimes all over the place. How much time are we redeeming? How much time are we wasting? How much time are you investing in your family, your marriage, your kids? How much time are you giving to God's work, to ministry, to invest in people? The first thing that Haggai wanted the people to consider, as he said, consider your ways, was consider your time. Consider your time. Is it not time? Or is it time for you to do all these things and neglect why God brought you here? How about you? Will you consider your ways this morning? Will you consider how you're using your time? But secondly, as we consider our ways, we need to consider God's blessing. Consider God's blessing. We're going to look at verse 6 and see that fulfillment is found in God's will. Fulfillment is found in God's will. God blesses His will. He blesses the performing of His will. And in verse 6 it says, Ye have sown much and bring in little. That doesn't sound like blessing. 
Ye eat, but have not enough. Ye drink, and are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. Again, this does not sound like the blessing of God. He concludes with, ye earn, He that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Now anybody knows, that's not smart. Uh, if you've got wages, don't put it into a bag with holes. I finally retired my holy, not sanctified, but I mean holy, holy, uh, uh, wallet. My wife got me a new wallet for Christmas. The other one was falling apart. And I, I would keep it together with a rubber band so that the credit cards and whatever wouldn't just disperse. Uh, uh, hey, it was time to get rid of the bag of holes, the wallet full of holes. I don't like losing money. I remember one time, uh, my wife and I, in evangelism, we were given a $100 bill. Uh, someone said, hey, here's $100. Take your wife and kids to go do something. I was just so blessed by that. And I had it in my hand, and I had some other things. And I, to this day, I'm not sure what happened to it. Between there and the trailer, it was gone. My wife and I looked high and low, and I, I don't know what happened. I prayed finally and said, Lord, Maybe, I, maybe someone else find, found it that needed it more than me. <laughs> Help someone to be blessed by it. But I don't think I'm ever going to see that thing. Never did. But oh, I hate that. Losing money, I hate that. Uh, and yet, what God's Word is telling us here is if you want God's blessing on finances and food and everything else that's important to us, you had better know His will. You had better be following Him. Otherwise, you might as well be putting it into a bag with holes. They were diligent, but they couldn't get there. They, they ate, but they couldn't get full. They drank, but they were always thirsty. Uh, they couldn't get warm enough. They couldn't get rich enough. <clears throat> no, no one thing that uh, I, I should point out is this. They are never, they are never uh, rebuked for laziness. They're not told that you, you guys aren't working. It's actually the opposite. He says, ye have sown what? Much. We're not looking at a lazy people. <clears throat> We're not looking at people who don't know what work is. No, you're looking at people who are, in, humanly speaking, covering all the bases, checking all the boxes. They're working hard. They're taking care of family. They're putting food on the table. They're clothing their kids and they're doing everything they're supposed to do. They're, 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 uh, they're making some money. But none of it is enough. I want you to know, folks, God blesses His work. God blesses His will. God blesses His people that are obeying Him, that trust Him, and, and that submit to Him and follow Him. Hard work itself does not equal happiness. God's work and God's blessing will equal happiness. Their labors couldn't satisfy. God's the only one that can satisfy. And I'll tell you this, futil uh, sorry, uh, fulfillment gives way to futility when God's work is neglected or sidelined. Nobody wants to think that their life is futile. But fulfillment only comes with God's blessing. You might have some great skills. You might be a, a business mastermind. You might be able to know about uh, how to start a business, how to, how to grow a portfolio, and all these different things. You might be great with that. But one thing you can't afford to miss is you need God's blessing. You need God's blessing. How many people 
built wealth with their own, own two hands and their own determination to only see it fall through their fingers through circumstances completely outside of their control, but not outside of God's control. These people here are on their own. And Haggai's saying, wake up! Consider your ways! Don't you see what you're doing? You're working so hard, you're doing everything right, but you've neglected the number one, the number one thing. And therefore, nothing is going to fulfill you. It's all futility. Fulfillment is found in God's will, and that's what God blesses. But also, prosperity is linked to the right priorities. Prosperity is linked to the right priorities. Look at verse 9. It says, Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. So what is this talking about? Hopes fall short of expectations when God's not blessing. Oh, they had high hopes. You ever made an investment? Yeah, oh, I hope this goes good. You know, I hope it goes good. Oh, no. Well, we know what that's like. We've all had high hopes and expectations, bottom out. But this was not just a, 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 a stock. This was their life. Their whole life was, was this way. Looking for much, and yet it comes to nothing. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. The prophet vanishes with the wind of God's breath. So whatever they did bring home, whatever little they did come home with, God said, it was gone. The farmer speaks of the farmer here. The farmer is helpless on his own. He needs God. Look at this. Uh, Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew. The earth is stayed from her fruit. You can have all the machinery. You can have all the skill and the degrees in agriculture and whatnot, but you still need God to shine that sun and to give you the rain. Uh, There is no way you get away from the, the need for God's blessing. He says, I called for the drought upon the land and upon the mountains, upon the corn, the new wine, the oil, and upon the ground that bringeth forth, and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the labor of the hands. I want you to notice here, the drought is literally called for by God. He's owning it. He said, yep, hey, that, yeah, 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 I did that. He's not even hiding it. You, know, you and I, you ever done something to correct your kids, but you, you didn't really want them to know? <laughs> I have, okay. So sometimes you correct your kids, it's just got, you got to come out and correct them. Other times it's like, I'm just going to kind of correct them here subtly without them knowing because I don't want to be the bad dad. You know, God just owned it. He just says, yeah, I, I blew what you took home the other day. Yeah, that was me. And the drought, yeah, that was me. I called for that. Now, wait a minute. Someone says, what, what, what kind of God do we have here? He would just dry up the rain and, and keep people, hardworking farmers, trying to provide for their families, can't do it. I don't know if you've ever been to a, through a drought, but I, I had a chance to be in New Mexico when they were going through a drought. And the, the missionary that we were with was there with the, the, the Navajos. The Navajo Nation, they believed that the great spirits were not, not happy with them and had caused this drought. And the missionary was saying, no, it's not, it's not the great spirit, it's, it's the great God. And he used it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. 
I remember being in in Ulysses, Kansas, western Kansas, and it was just so flat, and we're preaching at this church and staying in a house uh, uh, with some of the people there, and I followed them all the way out down this uh, straight as a narrow road, flat as a pancake land. But before we got to their house, you went down through a ravine and then up to the side. And I said to him, I said, that's kind of weird. There's nothing but flat, but then we, ha- we went through this ravine. He says, oh yeah, that's the old river. He said, we used to have a bridge, but we just took that out. It's been, it's been dry for so long. We haven't seen a drop go down that, that riverbed. We just drive through the, through the riverbed now. I said, really? He said, oh, you wouldn't believe what it was like when I was a kid. He said it was totally green. Now, picture with me nothing but dirt and the occasional sagebrush. And there was no trees, except for maybe some old you know, stumps. Uh, he said, when I, I grew up here on this property, he said it was nothing but green, lush land, and the river just flowed so freely. He said, we used to go down by this river, and we would look, we would dig in the dirt, and we would find uh, the arrowheads. He said, this is where all of the different native uh, tribes would fight because they wanted this spot for their cattle so they could have uh, the best place to graze and to drink. And so there was wars here all the time. He said, you, you could go down and find all these arrowheads. He said, oh, we loved it. And then it all dried up. It's hard to imagine. How can it go from being the prized spot to this barren wasteland? Uh, God's in control of all these things. And I'll tell you, at that church, they had a, a prayer meeting like we don't have around here. They had a prayer meeting for water. They would pray for water. We have prayed against water sometimes. Lord, don't let it rain on our parade. (laughs) You know, we've prayed like that. I've never prayed, Lord, please send the rain. Uh, They did, and they trusted that God was in control of these things because he is. Now, why would God do all of this? Well, it says, because we or they prioritize their house over his house. Look at verse 9 again, halfway through it says, Why? Why? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. What what in the world? Lord, why why do you put this, why do you put yourself first like this? Why don't you you want us to have a a good house? And what about our families? Lord, why why would you do this? We're going to talk more about that in a moment. But first, let me say, wrong priorities will vanquish prosperity quicker than anything. What is so sad to me is how hard some people work only to get further and further and further behind. They will work so hard that they will realign all their priorities. Their marriage takes a back seat. Their family takes a back seat their time with the Lord, their personal fellowship with their Savior takes, has to take a back seat. Because I've got to be a hard worker. I've got to achieve. We've got to do something here. We've got to accomplish. And this is good. Anyone in society would say, this is good. I'm a hard-working person. And, they go, and then church takes a back seat. Hearing from God takes a back seat. And, and prayer, it all takes a back seat. But, but we excuse it because it feels so right because I'm working so hard. And it's so sad to me how many people are pursuing prosperity with everything they have and it's like they're on a treadmill or worse, the treadmill itself is moving backwards. Wrong priorities will lead to a life of frustration. 
Because you need God himself on your side. And if God himself is against you, there's nothing you can do on your own to attain what you're trying to attain. In this chapter, Haggai paints a vivid picture. In verses 9 through 11, he essentially says, God himself is resisting you. Everything you're doing. He is blowing it away. He is closing the sky. He is hardening the earth. He wants to be first. It's about priorities, folks. God's blessing follows the right priorities. God's blessing follows a pursuit of God's will. And you and I have got to recognize we cannot make it without God's blessing. How many of us have a, a, a testimony that we could share? <clears throat> Something like this. <clears throat> Boy, God got my attention, somebody says, when he touched my health. And everything fell apart. He woke me up. I reprioritized my life in accordance with Scripture, and I'm so glad. Boy, God began to heal. I've heard that. I, well, I have that testimony, first of all. I've heard it from some of you. Or this one, I've heard this one a few times. Boy, things were going good and then my marriage fell apart. And God woke me up. You're about to lose it. You're about to lose the marriage. You're about to lose the kid. You better get back to the book. You better see what you're doing wrong. You better make some priorities. You better get your marriage under the Word of God and you better get your, 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 your household under the Word of God. And, and you did and you saw God's blessing. Some of you have that testimony. Others of you, you were working harder than anybody you, you, you had, you know, basically, you, you were the definition of hard work. And God took your job. You lost your job. And, and, and God said, hey, I want to make sure I'm number one. I want to make sure I'm number one. And you said, thank you, Lord. I need to know I, I needed that. You are number one. I'm going to make you number one. I'm going to realign my priorities. And God blessed you, and you got another job, and you moved forward, and you, and you said, thank you, God. That was tough, but thank you for doing that to realign my priorities. And there's so many stories like that that we could tell. And by the way, I'm not preaching at anybody here. Okay, this is very general, very broad. We've all been through these things or something like it. And it hurts at the time, but afterwards, I, I, I speak for myself, I've been thankful every single time. Thank you, God, for caring so much for me that you would actually remove your blessing from me to wake me up and to realign my life with your word. Thank you. But you know what we do sometimes? Once we are realigned, now everything's good. And now I can go back to, now back to our regularly scheduled programming. Me doing my life the way I like to do it, independent of God and hard work and all this sort of thing. And God just begins to drift back and back again. And we have to go through these cycles, folks. Remember, you cannot live, you cannot, uh, you cannot uh, help anything in your life without God's blessing. You can't help your family. You can't help your kids, their future without God's blessing. There is no prosperity outside of His will. Consider your priorities. Consider your time. And thirdly, consider God's glory. <clears throat> and this goes right in with the priorities. It's really almost a subset of the previous point, but we'll, we'll treat it individually. Consider God's glory. Look at verse 8. 
go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. So someone looks at this and says, now hang on a minute. God knows what we're dealing with here, right? He saw the letter that caused us to shut down the whole work on the temple. God knows about the opposition. He knows about this long trip that we took and, and we got kids and family. It's got to be somewhere. We, we've got lives to live. He knows everything we're dealing with and his answer is climb a mountain, load up some, some uh, carts full of wood. That, that sounds like work. Bring that up the mountain and build me a house and I'll take pleasure in that and be glorified. And I tell you, somebody says, why, why aren't you pleased with me building my house? Why doesn't that make you happy, God? Why aren't you pleased with me taking care of my family? Why aren't you, why aren't you pleased with, with uh, my needs being met? Why, why, do you, why does this house have to happen first? And why does God expect us to give tithes and first fruits? Why, why does he expect us to work for him? Somebody says, well, doesn't God own it all? And if he owns it all, why does he want what I have? The little measly bit that I have when he owns it all. You see how easy it is to look at a human perspective? I think it's very easy for us because I think if we're honest, we live here quite often. And so these questions I'm saying resonate. Someone says, why is he a jealous God? You know, the Bible talks about God is a jealous God. Well, what, what are you jealous of, God? What do you want that I have? Why are you after me? As John Piper points out in one of his messages, and I don't, uh, just a little disclaimer, I think he's great on some things. I don't agree with him on everything. But he, he has a, a quote that is fantastic. It's on the screen. God is most glorified in us as we are most satisfied in him. And he points out, that Oprah Winfrey, Brad Pitt, C.S. Lewis, Eric Reese, and Michael Prowse, I think I have his name right, Prowse, Prousey, something like that, all left the faith over the fact that God seemed like an egocentric, self-exalting, proud tyrant craving his own adulation from his miserable subjects. In an interview, I believe it was Brad Pitt, said, uh, you know, anybody I've ever known who needs the praise of others and requires it is a bad person to be around. And so I walked away from God. Here's what I want to say. Brad, in that case, got a lot right. In fact, the statement, anybody I've ever known who has required praise from people around them has been a bad person, that's a true statement. Where he got off was this. God is not anybody. He is not a human. And God genuinely does want what is in your best interest. He does want to care for you and he wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to know satisfaction. He wants you to know what love is. And he poured out his son as a demonstration of that love. 
The difference here is when you look at God and his, and, his, and his requirement to be first, when you look at that from a human perspective and see him as a human, oh boy, you're going to walk away. You're going you're to walk away mad. But when you recognize that he is the only being that when exalting himself gives what is best to those around him, it changes everything. You see, when God says, put me first, climb that mountain, bring the wood, build me a house, it sounds like he doesn't care about us. Like he just wants to be first and we, his pleasure and he doesn't care about our pleasure, but that is totally the furthest thing from the truth. No, he actually does care about our pleasure and the Bible says it right here. Uh, your satisfaction is dependent upon his, his glorification. And, and the verse I want you to see is, is Psalm 16, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. He is concerned with your pleasure. He is concerned with our satisfaction, but we are only satisfied as he is glorified. And we are only pleased as he is pleased in us and with us. You want pleasures? God wants you to have pleasures. They're found at His right hand. You want to know fulfillment? It's going to come from knowing what He says is the path of your life. You want to know joy? It's going to come in His presence. You see, from a human perspective, these folks could say, don't tell us to climb a mountain and build your house. If you care for us, help us build our house for our future. He says, I could do that. And you would be right back into captivity that fast. You can't maintain your future. You need God. Your family needs me. We need this house because more than anything, you need a faith in a God who is real, who can carry you through this future. In other words, this sounds, it almost sounds selfish, but in putting God first, you're blessing yourself. In putting God first, you're investing in your family. In putting God first, you are not neglecting your children. You're allowing God to protect them and to ensure that their future will be right in line with His will. Uh, Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Taste and see the Lord is good. Yes, climb the mountain, bring the wood, build His house, and taste and see that He is good. And if you'll trust me on this, I know you don't see it, but if you'll trust me on this, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Anyone who has ever put God ahead of himself has won. They've been blessed by God. And those who say, God, I'd love to serve you, but I have to wait until I can do this and this and this. God, I'd love to, to give to meet some needs, but I can't do that because I've got so much going on. Those folks, uh, they're always chasing. They're always chasing, but they're never, they're never receiving and knowing that fulfillment found in, in God's best. If I be lifted up, I be, will draw all men to me. He loves to, to, be, to be drawing us to himself, and he, but he wants to be lifted up. 
He wants to be number one in our lives. Your satisfaction is dependent upon His glorification. Now let me also reiterate, His pleasure is your pleasure. You're not going to be pleased living a life that is self-centered. You will be pleased living a life that is God-centered. I believe, uh, yeah, it was, I was reading Dr. Barry's book, Preparing for Our Wednesday Night Series, Planning Your Life God's Way. And Dr. Barry was studying in his office, and he, he, he mentioned how uh, there were some kids playing in the hallway outside his door by his office. One of them says, do you know what God's will is? I says, no. Think of the worst thing that you could do with your life. That's God's will. <laughs> Dr. Barry sat in his office and he said, oh no, oh no, I, I got some work to do, but we got to correct this thinking. You know, the truth is, many, many people can relate to what those kids said. Sometimes kids are just more honest. They're just more honest. Oh, what is God's will for my life? Oh, I bet you it's terrible. Oh, no, at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You know, God built you for something. He built you for uh, what Dr. Barry calls the, the sweet spot. He has a sweet spot for you. And, and until you find what you're built for, you can't rest. You can't know complete peace and joy and as you're doing everything your own way, God will resist that in love. God's not going to spoil his children. You know, a lot of us, we look at verse 8 and we say, Oh, Lord, they're not going to understand. They're not going to understand the whole go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I'll take pleasure in it. They're just not going to understand. What they will understand is, is just, just bless them. That's what people understand. Just bless them. Just give them what they want. Give them their houses. Give them their, their money. Give them what they need. And the Lord says, no, I love them too much than to do that. I love them too much than to spoil them. That's where some parents here need to take note. That's where some grandparents need to take note. If you love your kids and if you love your grandkids, you don't give them everything that they want. Dad, why can't I have that? Because I love you. But what's wrong with it? Nothing. Well, then why can't I have it? Because I love you. I'm not going to spoil you by just giving you everything that you want. I'm going to give you what you need. His pleasure is your pleasure. You know, we know the phrase, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. My kids are the most content, fulfilled, secure, happy, calm, and pleased when their mother and I are. I could give them the entire toy store. I could, give, I could buy the whole thing. Well, I can't buy the whole thing. But if I gave them every toy in the toy store, and yet my wife and I were upset, and it was chaos in the home, none of those gifts would have any significance. What do they want? Uh, they only have meaning and fulfillment and joy in the context of their relationship with us and in a good, wholesome relationship, and so it is with God. Pleasing God is the shortcut to happiness. Please him, and you'll be pleased. Same thing with couples. I tell couples this. You have a problem with your, with your husband? Seek to please them. Seek to serve them. You have a problem with your spouse, your, your wife? Uh, seek to please them. Seek to serve them. And the more you will be uh, pleased yourself. The result is worth it. You know, for these folks, 
hauling wood up a mountain, building somebody else's house, was actually where they would find pleasure and fulfillment. And by the way, when they got the job done, do you remember? We read it already in Ezra. Do you remember the celebration? Do you remember the weeping, tears of joy, and, and, and just the, the incredible, exhilarating time as they finished the work God called them to do? His work is not just the means to pleasure, but it is pleasing in and of itself. So have you bought the lie that God's will is a drag? Have you bought the lie that God's not interested in your happiness? Have you, uh, have you bought into Satan's doubts in these regards? And do you know the joy, peace, and fulfillment in knowing that He's first in my life? I'm pursuing Him. I'm trusting Him. By doing that, you're ensuring that your family is in His trust, His care, and His protection. Are you glorifying God? Are you seeking His glory first and foremost? Consider your ways, Haggai said. Wake up! I know there's a lot of things to look at. We're driving down the road of life, and I'm looking out the window at the, the beautiful, uh, the beautiful uh, scene here of the St. Louis Arch. I had no idea, though. I was headed toward my doom. And somebody had to say... Look out! Watch where you're going! Consider your ways! There's a lot of things that are pulling us all over. A lot of things we're pursuing. God wants us to know He is number one. He is our priority. He is our pursuit. I want my life to glorify God. So in conclusion, consider your ways. Consider God's timing. How are you using your time? Are you making an excuse? Oh, God's just not in it. Or you say, no, the days are evil. I'm going to redeem the time and walk circumspectly. Consider God's blessing. Uh, do you know His blessing or have you, have you known the lack? Have you prioritized to know that God's not resisting you, but to know that He is working with you as you are working with Him, following His leading? Are you considering His glory, putting Him first? And it is the best thing you can do for yourself. It's the best thing you can do for your, your, your family. It's the best thing you can do for your future to put Him first. To give when it doesn't seem like you can. To serve when it doesn't seem like you have time or talents. Uh, just to, to say, Lord, I'm going to trust You that You will be glorified in my life. May God help us to consider our ways for His glory. Lord, thank you that you have given us the word from Haggai the prophet as an opportunity for us to consider our ways. I pray that we would be faithful. But we know we're not going to be faithful if we don't take an inventory of our life and, and be accountable to your word. Lord, help us to examine our priorities. Help us to, exeter, uh, to examine who our life is exalting.